Welcome to the Heartland Free Church Sermon Podcast. We are so happy to have you joining us today. If you are a first-time listener or first-time visitor here at the church, we would love to get connected with you. You can click that link in the podcast summary. That is our online connection card. If you'd just like to learn more about us as a church, you can visit heartlandfree.com or you can download the Heartland app in whatever app store you prefer. Thank you again for joining us. We've got a fantastic message for you this morning, and we will be getting into that right now. Do you ever struggle with regrets about past sins, past failures? I was, uh, had gotten up early today. We got a house full of grandkids uh, this weekend, five of the littles running around. Uh, one of them was up early, and so my daughter Anna was sitting there, and uh, she, I, she said, Dad, what are you preaching? I said, I'm preaching on regrets. And she shows me this picture of a lady that got a tattoo that says, no regrets. Only one problem, regrets was spelled wrong. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so, so uh, I know some of you have seen that because she says, Dad, it's all over the Internet. So uh, I wouldn't know that, of course, because I'm not on social media and all that stuff. So um, regrets. Boy, oh, boy, we all have regrets. A few weeks ago, I was doing some shopping in St. Cloud. I happened across a very chatty, uh, come across a very chatty salesman. I'll call him Tom. <laughs> Uh, sometimes when strangers hear that I'm a pastor, they clam up and uh, quickly change the subject. And, uh, and then there's guys like Tom, <laughs> who just proceeded to bear his soul. <laughs> and uh, he was soon sharing some of the most intimate secrets in his life. And, uh, you know, folks, we all have regrets, don't we? We all have some secrets that we could be telling. Now, Tom had two wives. He went out of his way, uh, one wife after the other, I should say. <laughs> he went out of his way to uh, brag on both of them. Uh, he totally owned up to the fact that his alcoholism had led to the demise of his first marriage. Thank God he sobered up, but he was still wrestling with, with guilt. I almost expected him to say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> Uh, now, last year, Tom had gotten COVID, telling me all about that. He ended up being hospitalized for six days, could barely breathe. The first day he's in the hospital, thought he was going to die. So he describes how he's laying there and he's gasping for breath. His eyes are intense as he's telling me this. And he says, you know what the first thing I thought of? And before I could say anything, he blurted out, God. I thought of God, and he sort of, he said, I did a mental review of my life. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And as Tom proceeded to talk, you could tell the hounds of heaven have been chasing Tom all year long. And his eyes light up as he continues talking. And he says, Pastor, the world's getting crazy out there. It's, it's just nuts. And then he says, you know, Pastor, when COVID hit, that was the first time in my life when I honestly thought, this could be it. The world's going to end. Was God opening the door or what? 
So I quickly jumped in. I said, well, that's interesting, Tom. I happen to be preaching on that right now. <laughs> and so I did a little overview of this series here on the signs of Christ's return, and I invited him to check us out at heartlandfree.com. In fact, Tom, if you are listening today, I just want you to know I'm still praying for you. Heartland family, today I want to challenge you to do what Tom did in our impromptu visit a few weeks ago. I want to challenge you to review your life. Today is a day to take stock of where you are. You know, some of us, we need to do a 180. You need to be born again. You need a, a whole new beginning. If God is tugging at your heart today, invite him in. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to make you a brand new person because he loves to do that. Others of us, we need to make more of a course correction, okay? You love Jesus, but somewhere along the line, some of your priorities have just plain gotten mixed up. And you need to get back in the middle of the narrow road that leads to life. Now, maybe you've been dancing on the edges of the road, and, you know, maybe you've even gone in the ditch, you know? And today can be a wake-up call for you. Some of us, we're all in for Jesus, but you're discouraged. You're worn down by the problems of the world. And I want to say to you today, take heart. May the Lord renew your spirit. Following Jesus isn't always easy. It really isn't. But as the old hymn says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Today, we come to these closing verses of this magnificent chapter of the Bible, Matthew 24. The topic Jesus is addressing is faithfulness. I believe the Lord has four lessons for us about faithfulness. So we're going to look at them one by one today. The first one is this, that serving leads to fulfillment. Serving leads to fulfillment. Verse 45, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant who the, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. You know, when I was a kid, there were many times my dad would say to me, oh, I'm going to be gone for the day, and he would give me assignments before he left. Did your father or mother ever do that for you? And he'd say, Denny, I want you to mow the lawn and I want you to, to clean out the garage. And you know, that's going to take you about three hours. And the rest of the day, you can have fun with your friends. Were you ever given an assignment like that? So how did you handle it? Did you goof around all day long and then about three o'clock hit the panic button? <laughs> or were you the compliant child who bit the bullet 
got your chores done right away so you could go swimming and biking, whatever else you wanted to do the rest of the day. Now, let's be honest. Some of this, you know, it's just the way God's wired us. Some of us are by nature play first and work later people. How many of you would say, you know, pastor, to be honest, I fall into that category. Okay. Some brave souls out there admitting that. Okay. My wife is kind of in that category. And you know what? I love that about her. I really do. I love that about her. She will drop anything, and if there's something fun happening, and oh, let's yeah, let's do that. And and I need that because you see, I'm a compliant. I was a compliant child, you know. I, I I took eight years of piano lessons because my mom wanted me to. Hated every year. <laughs> Never got better after the second year. <laughs> but I did it because it was important to mom. And some of us were wired like that. You just naturally color within the lines. Others find that boring. <laughs> they find it stifling. They want to forge their own path. Now here in verses 45 and 46, Jesus doesn't seem to be overly concerned about laziness or the way in which we work. Rather, He's concerned about the heart. You see, in the, in the Bible, the heart is the seat of our emotions. Where's your heart? Is the greatest desire of your heart to serve Jesus? Or is the greatest desire of your heart, to be honest, to serve yourself? Some people, they spend their whole life serving themselves. They're not lazy. In fact, <laughs> to the contrary, they're often extremely hard workers, even workaholics. Last week, we talked about the story that Jesus told of the rich farmer, Luke chapter 12, tore down all his barns, built new ones. He said to himself, you know, <laughs> now I'm just going to kick back, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, you fool, tonight you're going to drop dead. And then who's going to get all your stuff? The stuff you work so hard for. Now here in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about a gifted servant who, who's been given a lot of responsibility. And this guy, he's the, he's the perfect servant he, everything runs like clockwork when he's around. He's, he's incredibly talented. He's attentive. He's a hard worker. He's organized. He's smart. When the master's home, master worries about nothing. His servant takes care of everything. All of his business, household affairs run without a hitch thanks to his talented servant. Now, the master decides to take a trip, decides to take a long trip. And so he gives detailed instructions to his servant. I, I want this done, I want that, I want you to work on this. And he talks about what he wants done and how he wants it done. And if everything is in order, when he returns, he says, there's going to be something in it for you. Okay, then he leaves. Now let me ask you this question today. 
So what are the talents and gifts and abilities that God has given you? What are they? You know, we saw these magnificent worship team up here today and uh, these beautiful ladies and talented men and, and it, it was awesome. They're using their gifts and talents. What are the gifts and talents God has given you? Romans chapter 12, seven gifts are, you, are given. Preaching, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy. There's a gift of mercy. Boy, aren't you glad there's people that have mercy out there, you know? The ones that'll give you a hug and pat you on the head, give you a piece of pie and say it'll all go better. You know, that's the way my grandma was. And you know, it, it did go better. <laughs> Ephesians 4, four ministries are highlighted. Missionaries, preachers, evangelists, pastors, shepherds. 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit equips us with all kinds of abilities. It doesn't seem to be an exhaustive list that is given here. But it lists many different ways. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, doing, even doing miracles, discerning God's will, discerning when something isn't God's will. And it also mentions speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, and we've been arguing ever since that was written down exactly what that means. Several other gifts are mentioned in the Bible. Hospitality, hospitality, oh my goodness, what a wonderful gift. How many times you've been in someone's home and it really didn't matter what the meal was or what the drinks were served or anything like that. It didn't matter if they had their house all in order or everything, but you felt loved. When you left, you felt loved. Okay, that's, the, that's a person that has hospitality. The ministry of prayer. You know, we had 24 people out here praying on Thursday night. Uh, two circles out here. That's a, that's a gift. It is a gift. It's a gift all of us need to pray. Some will have a special unction to do that. The gift of administration. You know, it's an incredible gift. Bible says there's a gift of administration. Organizing stuff. You know, aren't you glad there's people? I tell you, Jody Welsh, we're still missing her. <laughs> she had the gift of administration. Every once in a while, we'll find something. Well, you know, Jody had taken care of that. You know, it's a wonderful gift. Some people are amazing at it. Others are gifted musically, as we saw this morning. Some, like the Apostle Paul, have been given the gift of celibacy. And, and it is a gift. And uh, Paul, Paul was able to, he had time to do things that others did not have. Uh, even martyrdom is a gift. Now, you've got to be careful. You only get to use it once. <laughs> So, you know, you got to be careful. But uh, it does seem to be a gift that God gives to some. So now when you faithfully use your gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you, when you invest your resources that God has given you in things that are pleasing to God, you know what happens? You find something. It's a very rare commodity in today's world. 
You know what it is? You find fulfillment. You do. You find fulfillment. You find something, that joy deep down inside. You know what? That's what serving in Awana is all about. Serving in Sunday school. Working with the youth group. Serving with small groups. It's what it's the people that make the coffee here that we enjoy every Sunday. And on and on and on we go. The people that are cleaning the building here. I mean, there's so many gifts that God gives us. And when we're using the gifts that God gives us, it, it brings satisfaction inside. You know why? Because you're doing what you were born to do. And there's joy there. You know what, I, I, I've struggled with depression most of my adult life. And I have coping mechanisms when I feel I'm slipping down, starting to slip down into the dumps. You know, and one of those coping mechanisms, I have to find somebody to serve. I have to, and you know what, it gets my mind off myself, right? You, you see, you get your mind off of me, uh, and you get it onto we. And you get it onto thee. <laughs> so remember that this week. You know, and you get a little me focused. We all do it. And you get a little me focused. Get your mind on we and thee. Okay, God's going to bless you. Verse 46, Jesus puts it like this. He said, it'll be good. He'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Some of the translations say it, he, it will be, he will be blessed. Blessed is the servant who is faithful. The Greek word is makarios, and it is entirely appropriate to translate that as happiness. It, it will bring happiness to that servant whose master finds him doing so. Happy is the servant who is faithful. He has contentedness, fulfillment. He's at peace deep down inside. Why? He, has, he is fulfilling the assignment that the creator has given him to do. That's the first lesson. Jesus taught about faithfulness. Serving leads to fulfillment, a fulfilling a joy-filled life. Second lesson is this. The serving that leads to fulfillment, there's a chain reaction here. The serving leads to fulfillment. The fulfillment on this earth leads to rewards in the next life. A purposeful, meaningful life of serving Jesus on this earth leads to eternal rewards. Look, look at verse 46. Jesus said, It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Now, what is Jesus really talking about? He's talking about when he returns. When Jesus returns, and we're the servants, and he says, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. What is his gift? What is his reward? He has the joy of having more responsibility and more authority, and he will be able to do greater things. You know, I think one of the most misunderstood subjects in all the Bible is the subject of rewards. You know, when I was a kid, we were taught that we're going to receive actual crowns 
in heaven, and we're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus, and that'll be that. Uh, the scripture that's used to teach that is Revelation 4, the 24 elders, they lay down their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Now, it is possible that we may receive actual crowns in heaven, but I really doubt it. When the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John use that language, it seems much more likely that they are referring to the privilege that we will have to rule with Christ. The crown is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of responsibility. Jesus said so himself in Matthew 19, 28. He said, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, now he's speaking primarily to his 12 disciples, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, then that's all of us, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first, well, they're going to be last, and many who are last, Jesus said, they're actually going to be first. Now, we're not told the specifics of what this looks like, but clearly, we're going to find great delight in this. Now, even today, get this now, if you are a fantastic athlete in high school, what gets to happen? You get to play in college, right? Get a scholarship, you get to play, play in college. Your, your parents are puffed out over that my kid plays in college, you know, and he, they're going to college watching you play. Okay, so high school, you're great. You get to play in college. What happens if you're really good in college? You get to go to the pros, right? Yeah, you get to go. Then their parents are put their chests really. My kids, he's playing in the pros. You can watch him on TV and this and that, you know. So it's an honor. What if you? What if you're really good in the pros? Well, you get to make lots of money. That's one thing. Uh, you get very often you get to play in the Olympics. You get to play in the Olympics. We just saw the Olympics. Number of pro athletes playing in the Olympics, and if you win the gold in the Olympics. You get to stand on a podium in front of the whole world while your national anthem is being played. Now, the only difference is that we're going to be able to do all this stuff uh, in heaven. We'll be able to do it. We'll be able to receive these honors with humility. And uh, we'll be able to look at those of lesser stature, the ones that didn't get as many rewards. We'll be able to look at them without pride. And we'll be able to look at those with greater stature, got more rewards. We'll be able to look at them without envy. And instead, we're going to be filled with joy. Although it may be a bit, at times, tinged with sorrow. Why sorrow? Sorrow that we had wasted so many opportunities on earth. Sorrow for what might have been. Now, some have asked the question, in fact, I've asked this question myself, how can there be so many rulers, okay? You know, we're all going to be rulers in heaven, okay? Those who have served faithfully. 
will there be more rulers than there are things to rule? Okay, That's, I've asked that question. Erwin uh, Lutzer points out in his book, Your Eternal Reward, that the universe is at least 20 billion light years in diameter. And there are stars millions of times greater than planet Earth. So we don't have to worry about getting in each other's way. Astronomers tell us that there are as many stars in the universe, get this, as there are grains of sand on every seashore of planet Earth. Let me say that again. There are as many stars in the universe as grains of sand on every seashore on planet Earth. That's how many stars there are out there. And that's the ones we know about. Now, another misconception is that every Christian is going to, so, so the point of this whole thing is that we're not, there, there's going to be plenty of things to rule, okay? There's, you don't have to run out, you don't have to worry. It's a big universe. Now, another misconception is that every Christian is going to receive equal rewards. Just as Jesus taught that there are degrees of punishment in hell, he also taught that there are degrees of reward in heaven. In Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, Jesus taught that Capernaum, his hometown, spent a lot of time there, Capernaum would be punished more severely than Sodom and Gomorrah because Capernaum rejected the Messiah even though he was living right with them. And they still rejected him. In Matthew 20, verse 23, Jesus acknowledged on the other side that there are various places of honor, and some will be so honored that they will be right next to him. There will be one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said in the same passage, there will be those who are first, and there will be those who are last. In the 1700s, the most famous evangelist in the world was George Whitfield. He was the Billy Graham of his era. But he knew that fame had nothing to do with greatness in God's eyes. So when he died, he requested that his tombstone be engraved with the following words. Here lies George Whitfield. What sort of man he was, the great day will discover. Now, apparently, Whitfield didn't get his wish. And maybe it was his wife that decided, you know, it doesn't really look very good on a tombstone. And uh, maybe it was his family members. Somebody nixed the plan. But either way, those words are true. Only the final judgment will reveal the sort of man Whitfield really was. The newspapers that criticized him, and there were lots of them, Hey, yeah, they're going to be silent. They're not going to get the way in on that. His biographers, and he had biographers that, that were allies, friends. He had biographers that were enemies. Uh, they're not going to be contacted for, you know, uh, they, they won't get allowed to weigh in on the final judgment. In the presence of Christ, the opinions of man will be completely irrelevant. So if no one likes your Facebook post, don't worry about it. 
The divine verdict is the one that matters. And folks, it's going to matter. A fulfilling life of serving Christ on this earth is going to lead to eternal rewards, and they will never fade. Unfortunately, however, there will be those who choose another path. They will choose the broad road that leads to destruction. And that brings us to lesson three. Third lesson Jesus teaches about faithfulness is found in verses 48 and 49. And it's just simply this, slacking, and what I mean by that is just being lazy, goofing around, slacking leads to a wasted life. It leads to waste. Jesus says this, but he he says, suppose the servant is wicked, says to himself, my master's staying away a long time, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play, I'm going to fool around. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants, and he's thinking that he's, uh, you know, the master isn't going to be back to check for a long time, so he's going to take advantage of people, and he's going to eat and drink with drunkards and so forth. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus drops three hints three different times that his return is going to be delayed for a long time. It's interesting. You see this in verse 48. You see this again in chapter 25, verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And then a third time in verse 19 uh, of 25, it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Jesus is telling us three times, there's going to be a delay. Okay? It's going to be a delay. Now, I don't think they anticipated there was going to be a 2,000-year delay. But all three parables hinted it would be a long time. So let me ask you this. What happens when accountability is delayed? We start to get lax, don't we? Imagine if all the police cars were suddenly pulled off the roads. What would happen to the speed limit? <laughs> it, would, it would cease to be a deterrent, wouldn't it? And what if that went on for a year, five years, ten years? You see what's going on? Pretty soon no one's watching their speed anymore. The same thing happens in the sporting world. I remember when Canadian sprinter Ben Johnson, man, he was lightning out there. He won the gold 1988 Olympics, beat Carl Lewis. See Carl Lewis right behind him? He beat Carl Lewis at the uh, 88 Olympics in Seoul, South Korea. Three days later, this is so interesting. Three days later, the very moment in Canada, there's speakers that are talking before the Canadian Parliament and they're bragging on Ben Johnson that he had won the gold. And at that very moment, it was announced that Johnson was disqualified for testing positive for steroids. Later it came out that Ben had been taking steroids for the last seven years. And he had learned how to game the system. His coaches learned exactly how long before a test they had to stop taking drugs in order to pass the test. Ben Johnson was a fraud. Of course, in the Olympics, their tests were, were more thorough. So on the outside, Ben Johnson had these chiseled features, looked amazing, but inside, they're pumping him full of steroids. 
You know what, friends? At the final judgment, all of the fakers, all of the pretenders, they're going to be exposed. And there'll be nowhere to go. There will be nowhere to hide because Jesus, he can see right into us, can he? You might be able to fool everyone around you, even your inner circle, but you know what? You cannot fool him. Now let's move to the fourth lesson Jesus teaches about faithfulness. On earth, slacking, goofing around, waste, uh, you know, uh, being lazy, slacking leads to a wasted life. A wasted life is bad enough, but what's even worse is what happens in the next life. For a wasted life on this earth leads to tragedy in the next. <clears throat> Look at verse 50. Jesus says to the unfaithful servant, the one who has wasted his life, he says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces, assign him in a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you have to remember here, Jesus is speaking here. He's teaching about his return to the earth. There's an old fable about three apprentice demons who came to Satan. And uh, they came with their plans to tempt and corrupt humans. The first demon said, I'll tell them that there is no God. And Satan says, well, that's not going to work. They know there's a God. Second demon says, I know what. I'll tell them there's no hell. Satan says, well, that's not going to work because deep inside the heart of every human being, they know there really is a hell. Third demon says, ha I've got the perfect temptation. I'll tell them there's no hurry. Aha, says Satan, that's it. You're going to ruin humans by the millions with that lie. And how true it is. The most dangerous deception of all is that there's plenty of time. And yet the Bible teaches us over and over again, there's two things you don't know. I don't know. The first thing that you don't know is when you're gonna die. Psalm 139, 16 says, all of your days are ordained before one of them comes to be. The number of your days is written down. Number of my days is written down. Number of my mom's days just passed away. 94 a year, 94 and a half. Those days were written down before she was born. Even if you commit suicide, it is God who determines whether you will be successful or not. I love the true story. Chuck Colson's good friend, Senator Harold Hughes of Iowa, climbed into a bathtub 1952 with a shotgun. He was intending to commit suicide. The bathtub was meant to make it easier to clean up the mess. But God had other plans. There in that bathtub, as Hughes is preparing to pull the trigger, God reveals himself to Harold Hughes 
and he is instantly saved and he's delivered from alcoholism, something that he just couldn't overcome, never drank again. You know that Hughes lived another 42 years, went on to serve God as governor of Iowa, senator from the state of Iowa, ran for president, 1972, and worked for a Christian fellowship in Washington, D.C. Washington, for another 20 years after that. Friends, first thing you don't know is how long you're going to live. Second thing you don't know is when Jesus will return. Next week we're going to talk about that one more time. Uh, it will be Jesus' last reminder and he reminds him several times two days before his crucifixion. He does it one more time in the opening verses of Matthew 25. So we're going to be looking at that once more next week. You know what? Even the angels don't even know when Jesus will return. He could come at any moment. So we must always be ready. I close with this. In his book, The Day the Dollar Dies... The true story is told of a little German mother who carefully stashed her money away throughout World War II. And she worked and she skimped and she saved and by the end of the war she had created a sizable nest egg. But after the war, she felt she was a follower of Christ and she felt God wants me to help start a Bible school on the outskirts of the ruins of Frankfurt, Germany. So she grabs, she goes into her war chest there, grabs a whole bunch of money. And she steps up, she goes and finds the pastor who's in charge of the new Bible school. And she is just beaming with joy and with pride. And the pastor later wrote, how could I tell her that she had held her money too long. Why did it fall upon me to inform her that her money was now worthless? Had she not read the morning papers? Had she not heard the announcement by the German government that the old currency had been canceled? It was true. On Sunday morning, June 20th, 1948, the old German currency, the Reichsmark, was canceled. And a new German currency, the Deutschmark, was launched. And sadly, the pastor informed this little old lady, she, he said, Madam, I, I'm awfully sorry, but we cannot accept your money. You see, someday, Heartland family, every dollar, every piece of gold, every jewel, it's going to be worthless. Its value will be wiped out forever. So much for your stocks and bonds, your mutual funds, your property, your gold, your houses, your condos, your cars. Jesus said this, do not store up for yourselves. Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, 
your heart's going to be there too. Are you living like that? <laughs>